So our presentation this morning is focused on uh, Kriya Yoga as a lifestyle. And we've been, we've been quite blessed to have a teacher, a guru, a mentor, who is, uh, had this remarkable ability to demystify uh, Kriya Yoga and some of the yoga practices and some of the things that we're engaged in. And when I say demystify, I don't mean to take the magic and wonder out of the process because it is a mystical process indeed. And it is, uh, it is a sacred endeavor that we are uh, in, engaged in. But oftentimes there's a lot of uh, mythology and mystery and um, a lot of extra business that goes around uh, Kriya Yoga practice or any spiritual discipline. And so Mr. Davis was able to sort of cut to the chase, to winnow everything down to what's really important, what's really critical, and not be so concerned about details, about focused little details about all these little uh, aspects of our practice. What's important is to practice and to practice not only in our meditation, because oftentimes uh, people make the mistake of thinking that Kriya Yoga is meditation and a meditation technique and a pranayama. And so this is a real Kriya Yoga and uh, the rest of everything else is kind of window dressing. But the reality is that our meditation and our Kriya Pranayama and this, this Kriya practice is only a little small piece of our Kriya Yoga. Kriya Yoga is a lifestyle. Kriya Yoga is everything that we do. Everything we do. And so Roy says that we practice Kriya Yoga for health, happiness, longevity, and spiritual awakening. Health, happiness, longevity, and spiritual awakening. So is there any one of those pieces that, that you don't want to sign up for? We want to be healthy. We want to be happy. We want to live as long as possible. And we want to be spiritually awake. And so our Kriya Yoga technology, this practice, this system that we are engaging in, is designed to support us on every level. This is not just spiritual awakening. This is to be able to optimize our life, to optimize our life, healthy, happy, longevity, and awake. Okay, so we can do that. And, and Roy goes on and says that all problems, all obstacles, all challenges are caused by afflictions. That is, this which, that, that which colors our thoughts, these, this ignorance, this ideas of separation, so the main one is, is ignorance or illusion or the idea that we're separate, that we're outside, that we're not part of the wholeness of this reality, that God is not fully available within us and around us, is not fully active. So, so this ignorance, this is a main cause of afflictions, problems, obstacles, challenges, uh, the sense of I, this ego, the sense of separation. Um, attractions and aversions, the things that we are attached to that, that are that control us to some degree, uh, the things that we push away, the aversions we have, and fear. All these things are 
are active processes that go on in the mind, that go on in our mind and awareness that create problems. And again, the problems are obstacles, challenges. These are all caused by colorings of thought. The way we are thinking is not accurate. It's not true. It's not on, you know, not on target. And because we are not thinking clearly and we are not reacting, we are reacting rather than responding, uh, we end up with challenges, problems. So, so once again, he comes back and the and in the actually in the Yoga Sutra in the second uh, book, the second chapter of the Yoga Sutra, uh, entitled Kriya Yoga, uh, starts off and explains that Kriya Yoga is self-discipline, that is paying attention to what we're doing, living on purpose, making decisions about what we're going to do and what we're not going to do, and then following through. This is self-discipline. So we, we, we engage actively in creating a process for our life that is not random, that is not just uh, the result of things that have come to us in the past and old habits and conditionings and other people's ideas. Rather, we take the initiative to set up a program and we say, this is how I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to think, feel, and act intentionally. So this is the beginning, is the self-discipline. Self-study, the second part, that is uh, study of the self with a capital S, so this true soul nature. So we, And the only way we can study that is to look at ourself, to pay attention when we're meditating, when we're quiet, to look at what the mind is doing and to bring it under some control, to be able to disregard, to let go of the thoughts and the considerations and the cares and the upsets, to let all that stuff go for a while, to, to turn the story off, the narration off, let that go and rest in being. And when we rest in being, we're not thinking about ourselves, and we're not thinking about what's going on. We're just resting in being. We exist in being without thought. We can be bright, fully conscious, fully awake, fully aware, fully present, and not thinking. Not allowing this uh, compulsive narration, this compulsive storyteller to continue to distract us. So, and Patanjali says, you know, that we're, that we're practicing Kriya Yoga, in order to remove the obstacles and allow ourselves to experience samadhi, to wake up and to experience these, to uh, uh, release, to let go of these obstacles, to overcome, to move beyond. So we study the nature of ourself by observing what's happening in our meditation. We also observe what's happening when we're not meditating. When we're going through our day-to-day activities, we can notice, pay attention. How am I thinking? How am I feeling right now in this moment? What's going on? How does the body feel? What's the interoceptive network? That is the feeling of what's happening inside. Do I feel balanced and harmonious? Does the body feel good? Do I have plenty of energy? Or are there things that need to be addressed, things that need to be looked at? So we pay attention to how we're thinking and feeling and acting in our regular day-to-day life. And we pay attention to how we're 
what's happening in the mind and consciousness and our awareness when we're in our meditation mode. So we, so we operate on both of these levels. This is all Kriya Yoga. And then the third aspect between, besides the self-discipline and self-study, and, and, and by the way, self-study also includes study of the nature of God, study of the nature of this larger reality, study of the nature of my larger self, because this self is a portion, is a part of ultimate reality, not separate, just as the wave is not separate from the ocean. And so we are a part of life, an intimate part, interconnected. And so, so we also want to study and pay attention and look at how we are interacting and relating to the rest of life. To, I mean, physically in a very practical way, how do we relate and interact with other people, with the environment, and with this larger reality. So we, so this is all part of our study, part of analyzing, contemplating, thinking about what we are and where we are and what we're doing. And then the third part is to is Ishvara Pranidhana, which is to let go of the sense of separation, let go of the ego, the feeling that we're outside, that we're not part of life, that we're not whole, that there's something missing. And something needs to be added. We have to get the right recipe together. We have to have the right stuff, uh, the right friends, live in the right house, drive the right car, you know, have the right stock, whatever it is, in order to feel complete. And this is foolishness. So Ishvara Pranidhana says, acknowledge that you are already one with everything, that you are inseparable that you are blossoming out of the universe, that you are, that God is actually expressing as you and through you. Not out there someplace, but right here. God is where you are and is the active principle within. And so, and we can experience this. We can come to know this. So, so we look at this intellectually and then we go beyond the intellectual and we contemplate. We just allow ourselves to, sort of open up our consciousness, our awareness to how these connections work. How is life interacting and interfacing with us? How these magical moments of support and nurturing come to us, this grace where, you know, we had no idea, no clue. And here all of a sudden is the answer to a question, is the solution to a problem. These things come. It's a natural part of the process because it's the way the system is designed is to be supportive and nurturing as long as we don't get in the way, you know, and the main problems we have are the ones where we get in the way. We decide that we're in control. We're in charge. We're going to make things work the way we want them to work and damn the torpedo torpedoes full speed ahead, you know, and this attitude creates problems for us. So we have to, we have some some interesting paradoxes in this in this Kriya Yoga tradition. Um, one of them is the you know it, it, uh, we're encouraged in in uh, the Yoga Sutras by Patanjali uh, to pay attention to the niyamas and the yamas to pay attention to practical things that we can do in order to bring our life in harmony with this larger reality. 
So there are some, some steps, some things that we can pay attention to, harmlessness, truthfulness, non-stealing, you know, and, and, and these are very useful, but they're all limiting. They're all things that we say, well, I'm not going to be harmful. I'm going to avoid thinking bad thoughts about people. I'm going to avoid trying to get back at somebody for something they did to me. I'm going to avoid harming anybody, you know, especially myself. I'm going to practice ahimsa, this harmlessness. But this means that I have to be careful about what I'm doing and I have to restrain myself. So I am limiting what I do in order to be liberated, in order to be totally free. This seems to be paradoxical, but it's actually the way things work. When we set the, when we set the rails that, are, that, are, that help keep us in, on the straight and narrow, when we set the, the, uh, the, define the limits of our path, we find that the path opens up in front of us and we have the ability to live completely unlimited, completely free, to be completely supported and nurtured and do whatever it is that we need to do to fulfill our purposes easily and naturally. So again, it seems paradoxical that we create these limitations, but we create the limitations in order to give ourselves clear direction and to avoid all the distractions and all the things that take us off the path, that take us away from being focused on what's really important. And what's really important, we'll go back again, health, happiness, longevity, and spiritual awakening. That's it. So what else is on your list, you know, your bucket list that you have to accomplish before you, before it's over? Besides health, happiness, longevity, and spiritual awakening. So, so, and this is the technology that we have that allows us to focus on this and move through and be successful. That's important to be effective and to be successful. So, so we have this, we have these guidelines, we have this technology, and I have, I have a lot of folks that ask me questions that go into great detail about uh, Kriya Pranayam, Kriya practice. And uh, if there's anyone in our group here who has not been initiated yet, um, you can write to me later and we can arrange for that online. Uh, but as part, of, as part of our Kriya initiation, we teach a, a, a Pranayama practice of moving energy in the spine. And so I'm constantly getting questions about the actual original true way that this practice is is engaged in you know there are so many details and with the internet now we have access to everybody's idea about everything so everybody is now a creator everybody now has an opinion that we can share and so we go and we start looking at kriya yoga and because the world has opened up to information flood uh, over overload um, we can find lots of different opinions about the original Kriya Yoga. And we can find lots of different opinions about the ways, specific ways to practice this Kriya Yoga Pranayam, because if you don't get it right, you're wasting your time. That's what they tell us. Except Roy. Roy never said that. Roy said, just, just be quiet. <laughs> he says, practice practice a technique, do something to get the mind to quiet down 
And when the mind quiets down enough, then just sit in the silence. Be quiet. Observe. The way you, you, the way you wake up to your true nature is by allowing yourself to have the experience, not by overthinking it, not by worrying about it, not by trying to figure out, you know, did you use the exact right recipe at the right time and the right number? Because, because this doesn't help. It doesn't help. It just confuses the issue. And so, and so some people, you know, talk about, well, we need to bring the energy up to the top, up to the third eye center, and then let it flow back down inside. And some say, oh, it could come to the top and it comes all the way to the crown chakra. I feel it there. And then it kind of circulates back down into the medulla and runs back down. Some feel it's circulating partly on the outside and partly on the inside. Um, and, and I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter. <laughs> that, you know, this original right way of doing Kriya Yoga never existed so we have a, you know, we have an innovator in our tradition, Lahiri Mahashaya, and his amazing innovation was to take the, the practices, the Raja Yoga practices of renunciate sages of Babaji and those like him that were very intense. And, you know, in these renunciates, they would go off, live in a cave, live out in the woods, be a, go away from normal society in order to really focus on their practice, long hours of meditation, austerity, you know, pranayam, hatha yoga, um, very intense. And so Lahiri Baba was able to take this intense practice and simplify it and bring it down to the real essence. What's the real core? What do we, you know, what's the important aspect that will be transformative that will help us to wake up to have this experience? And so and so this is what he did. He took this, these sophisticated teachings and he um, applied those and made them available to individuals based on their uh, capacity, based on their predilections. So someone who is very devotional, he would teach and give practices that were much more devotionally oriented. Someone who's more intellectual, jnana yoga, um, he would teach them more uh, contemplation and more intellectual. And he has, uh, I think, 27 journals, notebooks that he kept. And he didn't keep these to publish. These were not for anybody else's purpose. He wasn't using this as a method for teaching for, for all those many, many years from the time he was initiated and came home and continued his practice until he passed. Um, he kept these journals and he would record every day what was happening in his meditation. He would record what he experienced and where it was happening. And of course, and because this was not intended for publication, as a matter of fact, he didn't want anybody messing around with his personal journals. And so he wrote and, and he was, he, he knew five or six languages. So he was amazing amazingly bright guy. Um, so to keep his journals private, he would write, I believe it was in Bengali. He would write in Hindi, but he would use Bengali script. So it's like, you know, it's like using Japanese to write German. Um, 
So it's not easy to write it, to read his stuff. You have to be very competent in both Hindi and Bengali and be able to kind of wrap your head around the fact that I'm reading in this script and it's actually coming out in this language. So the point of all that is that he did not intend for anybody to be reading his stuff. But if you go back and look, and there are some pages that are published, you can, you can look at some of the, some of the pieces of his journals. There, none of them have been translated, uh, except for little segments. But if you go look, he has illustrations. He has pictures of this center and a center here and a center here and a place here and these different places in the body where he would be moving energy, experimenting, moving energy, seeing what happened within, following this to be able to develop and uh, create the ideal system for himself. And this, this went on for through 27 big fat journals. So, so when we talk about the detail, you know, what's the exact right way? It's best to just forget that. Forget that. Find out for yourself what works the best. And remember, there are individuals who have been on the planet who have been enlightened, fully awake, that have never heard of Kriya Yoga, that have never heard of this pranayama. And if we look at other disciplines and other techniques, the Sufis, the Taoists, um, many of these have uh, processes, procedures, where they are working with the same energy in a little different way. And so we can go to, you know, the Qigong, uh, Tai Chi, they're using a, a different center, a different focus point of energy, but they're still moving prana, they're still moving life force. And in the moving and working with it, it has a, a tendency, it has a way of um, clarifying the system of balancing, bringing back into harmony, and supporting the spiritual awakening. So, so most important is for us to show up every day and practice. And as we're doing the practice, then to follow through and look and see what is most effective, what is working. We don't want to just show up and, and just put in the time, you know, as a routine, but rather we want to be actively involved in exploring consciousness, actively involved in looking at what's going on inside. What is this? I'm an explorer in consciousness, you see. And once I close my eyes, and once I relax and turn my attention within, then I begin to notice stuff happens. And the, the first stuff that happens is um, the subconscious starts spitting up things, the ideas, memories, thoughts, these things percolate up through the mind, because that's what the mind does. That's what the mind is designed to do. It's designed to pay attention to what's happening and think about it and make decisions and take us forward. So because the mind is, is it has this habit of being a mind and thinking uh, in the beginning, it wants to continue to do this. So we sit down and we be quiet, turn the attention within, we notice the thinking and then we disregard it. We let it go. We stop paying attention to the thoughts as they percolate up. And instead, we pay attention to whatever our focus of meditation is. And, and uh, Roy would teach us everything. I mean, he would say, well, you know, use, watch the breath. 
use mantra in conjunction with the breath, contemplate, pray, affirm, you know, do whatever technique, whichever one of these procedures works for you now at this time today uh, in order to get your mind to come quiet, get your mind to come clear. So use the appropriate technique. And then once you start to find yourself in that quiet space, let it go and just rest in the quiet. And when you notice the thoughts start percolating, bubbling up, go, okay, well, those are thoughts. And I'm just going to let them go and bring my attention back to some point of focus, back to the breath, back to the mantra, back to just resting in OM, listening to OM, allowing myself to to, uh, experience this OM vibration. Whatever it is that we use, we come back to that again and again until the mind is settled, until we can easily disregard whatever percolates up and we pay, keep most of our awareness, most of our attention on this essence of being, on just being, being. And if we sit quietly and we look and we look and we are open and receptive and we don't have predetermined ideas, expectations, oh, this is supposed to be happening now. Because I read a story once where this fellow meditated and then when he got to this point, he was putting his attention here and all of a sudden there was a big gold field and a blue light and in the center of a white radiating scintillating star and you go into the star and move into super consciousness and and that's not happening for me i'm sitting here in the dark you know and i'm looking and i'm open and i'm receptive but where's the star i want the light i want the sound i want the you know so we have these expectations we're trying to conform make our meditation experience conform to what somebody else has reported and that's not useful say because i mean practically speaking we can't really communicate any experience effectively you know i i uh i was blessed last week with the local farmer's market that someone came up and uh offered uh cream cheese fudgy brownies um, homemade, gluten-free, and uh, all organic. And so we ordered a, a, a sample of those from the farmer's market. And I would love to explain to you how good a fudgy brownie, cream cheese brownie, um, that's really chocolatey and uh, perfect. You know, you just close your eyes and sit there in nirvana, chocolate nirvana. I'd love to explain that to you, but there's no way I can do that. You know, you can think, oh, well, I had chocolate and I can kind of relate a little bit, but I can't give you that experience. I'd love to, (laughs) but I'd love to give it back to myself. (laughs) But the point is that all these experiences we read about that other people have don't help. They don't, you know, they're not moving us any closer. What moves us closer is attention observation paying attention and then and we're talking now about meditation this is what's going on inside but our this process this paying attention being attentive doesn't stop with our meditation the meditation just gives us a time out to be able to actually experience being without having to be 
compulsively stuck with the narrator, you know, compulsively stuck in the story. So, so now we have the opportunity when we're not meditating to also be attentive, to be still paying attention, to be studying, to be noticing. So remember, our Kriya Yoga is self-discipline, study, and uh, letting go of the ego, relying upon the infinite, relying upon God at all times. This is like three legs of a tripod that make it nice and solid so it doesn't tip over easy. And and the self-discipline, this is how we're acting. This is what we do. So my actions should be disciplined. They should be intentional. I should be living on purpose. I have a purpose. And so if I'm living on purpose, if I'm acting in a way that supports what I'm here for, then, you know, this is a good thing. This is self-discipline. So our self-discipline is our, is our action. And then we have our thinking and our thinking is related to self-study. What do we think about? What do we think about ourselves? What do we think about the world, about life, about our interaction, about what's next, you know? What do we think about uncertainty? Uh, we have an opportunity right now to really, you know, drill down on uncertainty because nobody knows what's going to happen. <laughs> and nobody has ever known what was going to happen. But the illusion is that we've got it, you know, we got it under control and we're focused and we know what's going to happen next year. And this year they just kind of pulled the rug out from underneath us and all those illusions went tumbling down the drain because we have no idea and now we realize that we're not in control and we realize that we don't know what's going to happen next last year we didn't know now we know so it's time to get comfortable with not knowing you know how do you feel about not being in charge of the universe not knowing what's going to happen next not being in control and being okay with that because there is something in control you know, there is something that is, there is an intelligence and an order to this unfolding process, which is life everywhere. Um, and so we we have the opportunity to learn to trust that instead of this illusion of thinking that we're in control and that we're so smart and special and, you know, have everything all figured out. So now we have an opportunity to step back and go, okay, God, <laughs> obviously, we're out of control here. You're the one that's managing and maintaining all this. And I trust that it's all moving in the direction in this unfolding evolutionary process, moving in the direction of what is the highest and best for everyone and everything. Everyone, all the creatures, all the environment, all the people, everything are evolving, moving into, um, uh, I want to say higher, but I really don't because it's not higher. It's just uh, a more uh, awakened, a more aware uh, experience of life. And the, and the more aware and the more awake we are, the more free, the more liberated we are. And the happier we are and the healthier we are and the longer we will live and the more we're awake, you know. So this all, all comes together. So we want to be excuse me, you want to be paying attention to everything. And, and, you know, this is, this is the place where, 
some people get a little bit stuck or they don't really, you know, uh, follow through enough to understand or to pay attention. But, but everything's important. Everything in our life is either thinking, feeling, or acting. Everything in our life is either a feeling of being connected with the universe and being part of the wholeness and an expression of this. And so we're okay and we're, you know, carrying our part of the weight, doing what we're here to do. Um, so that's our, you know, that's our feeling, our sense. And if we're not feeling like that, then we can stop and go, wait a minute. Obviously, there's some disconnect between my feeling, between my experience of what's happening around me and my understanding of what's happening around me. And I need to get bring those in, back into line. And we do that by paying attention, putting our attention on the relationship between us and the other individuals and the, and the, the, the environment, nature, um, and paying attention to how these interactions, how are we being nurtured and supported? How are we being cared for? Um, if we pay more attention to all these little magical things that come along to support and nurture us, all the answers that come, answers that come where, you know, we're not sure about this, we're not sure about that. And then, you know, we turn on the television and watch a documentary, something, and and completely out of left field, here's the answer, here's some inspiration, here's a direction. These things are happening all the time. This is the way the world works. And so if we're paying attention to those things, we see more of them. We get what we we're, we get what we're looking for. We get what we pay attention to. So if we pay attention to the ways that the universe is supporting and nurturing and all these little, you know, uh, subtle coincidental connections that come together, uh, we begin to live in this awareness that we really are being cared for. We are really being nurtured and supported where we really can learn to trust, to have faith to know that God is the active principle on the scene all the time, 24 seven. And so it's okay. So we don't have to be worried and anxious and fearful. You know, I remember I was, uh, I, I used to do a lot of uh, programs for unity churches and uh, in the unity church uh, at the end of the service, it's very common for them to say the prayer of protection and in the prayer of protection, um, they, one of the lines is uh, that, that God protects us, protects us. And, and I remember Roy's one time, we, we, he and I were talking, we were commenting on some of the things that Unity was doing. And, and of course, most of it is wonderful. But this particular thing, he said, you know, why do they say uh, the power of God protects me? Because what is there to be protected from? God is everything. So, so we don't need to be protected. We don't need to call in, you know, angels and protection and all this stuff. We're already it. There's nothing in this idea that there's something that we need to be protected. We need to pray for protection. We need to pray for help. We need to pray for these things. This all puts this power this juice out there somewhere it says god is out there and you know he's locked in a closet somewhere and with a drafting table you know making plans for the universe and deciding what's going to happen next year and who's going to win the election and no it doesn't work like that 
You know, the universe is intelligent, it's well-ordered, and it's moving in an evolutionary direction of awakening for everyone. So, so it behooves us to pay attention when we're not meditating, to pay attention to how these interactions are working and how these relationships are working and how we're feeling. And then about how we're thinking about ourselves. How do we define ourselves? Do we like ourselves? I mean, you know, in the in the perfect world, you should be your best possible friend. <laughs> you know, you should be the one that's cheering you on. You should be the one that's out there going rah, rah, rah. You wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror in the bathroom, and you go, Yes, we're back. And we have a day and we're going to do something useful and, and be involved, you know, feel good, feel good about yourself. Or do you look at yourself and go, oh, gosh, you know, could have been a lot better if I would have just bought that Apple stock back in 1973, 75. Uh, I would be a multimillionaire today and my life would be much better. Well, that's a thought. <laughs> Turns out to not be true. Uh, you know, we have lots of uh, lots of statistical data now about people who win the lottery and end up multimillionaires and totally ruins their life. They're unhappy. They end up having le- within a couple of years, they end up with less than they started off with. <laughs> and, and, and they've lost all their friends because everybody comes with their hand out wanting some money. If you had multimillions of dollars, I mean, surely a few thousand won't hurt here or there uh so the people who win the lottery and get everything that they could possibly imagine just delivered right to their front door end up making their lives miserable and being unhappy mostly not all but you know this happens so this idea about uh gosh my life would be so much better if this would have happened if that would have happened it's not true your life is your life is what you make it and your happiness and your well-being comes out of you and it comes out of you every single day. It's renewed on a regular basis and you have to be responsible for taking care of yourself, you know, number one. So we want to be, we want to like ourselves. We should be in love with ourselves. We should be, you know, doing everything we can possibly do to support ourselves ourself you know capital s this is god this is god and we can we can think about that you know i remember my wife and i were talking about some vegetables that we got from the farmer's market again by the way but all the farmer's market vegetables are not equal so some farmers will deliver things that look like they should be in the composter you know, occasionally we end up with something that's really not all that edible, or at least we wouldn't eat it. <laughs> and there's the, so there's the question is, number one, the person that just sent this to us, that sold this to us, would they eat this? I'm not sure. And number two, the bigger conversation was, you know, if we had a, a special guest coming over, would we prepare this and serve this to this special guest? If God was going to show up, if he was at the front door and coming in for dinner, would we fix this same food in the same way? Or would there be something a little more special? 
And if there would be something a little more special for a guest or for God, why not for us? Say, why not, why not pay attention to making what we have pleasant, tasty, nutritious, you know? So we can, we can think about taking care of ourself. You know, this is important. Pay attention to how you think about you. And if you think about you in negative ways, if, you, if you're still carrying around regrets, resentment, uh, upsets, you know, uh, issues with self-confidence or, you know, the real, real uh, crazy ones are the ones that we get programmed in when we're three years old, when mom's going, yeah, if you don't sit down and do your homework, <laughs> you're never going to amount to anything. So there's a program to put in a kid's head. <laughs> They're never going to amount to anything. You know? And so, so there are these subconscious conditionings that can still be active. They're like, uh, you know, every once in a while they're going out on a farm in, in uh, Holland someplace and somebody steps on a landmine that was planted back in World War II or, uh, or now I think they have dogs that can go out and find them and safely. And um, but anyway, there's landmines. There's these things that are historically implanted that are just waiting to be triggered. And sometimes we have these things triggering for ourselves that we're not worthy, you know, that we're not good enough, that we'll never amount to anything, uh, that we wish we could prove to dad or to mom. You know, that, that we are better than they thought we were or something. And it's impossible now because mom passed away. So now we're stuck. You know. So this, this gets to be a little bit crazy. So we can pay attention to how we feel about ourselves and allow ourselves to, to move through, to let go of all these cares and concerns and regrets and upsets and just see it as a story, you know. I just I can go back and go back through the story of my life, you know, like writing my autobiography. And it's amazing. I've had a pretty good life. I'm I'm very pleased with it. And I remember more of the good things than the bad things, so that's also a blessing. Um we all have these stories, and the reality is as much as you know many wonderful things as I've had a chance to do and experiences and all that, it's done. It's history, it's a story. And the story I tell myself about these wonderful times, and occasionally, I don't really live too much in the past, but occasionally when I think about you know uh, some remarkable day, uh, I'm very aware of the fact that I'm making this story up and it's not exactly what happened anyway. You know, it's like, to the best of my memory, and there were a couple of really emotional places, you know, where you're really, you know, up against the wall. Um, but there's a lot of the stuff in our story that just isn't true, that we either, you know, brought in from somebody else or a movie we saw one time or somebody else's story or something. So most of what's going on in this past and these stories, you know, it's arbitrary and subject to some editing. So we shouldn't put too much emphasis on it. We shouldn't live so much in the past and so much, especially in the upsets, the things that didn't work, the failures, 
the places where we really felt terrible or we did something terrible to somebody else. We got to let that stuff go. You know, Roy would say, just get over it. You know, in a lot of conversation about the inner child, a little inner child has been hurt and, and, you know, got stuck in a corner uh, inappropriately when he didn't understand what was happening and it hurt his feelings and his whole life, you know, has been destroyed because the inner child got hurt. And Roy would say, just, you know, leave the inner child alone. <laughs> yeah, put him back in the closet if you need to, but don't be, don't be focused on that. It's gone. It's history. It's just a story. The, the important thing is what's happening now. What's, where are we right now? What's the story today? And what's the story that we're setting up for tomorrow? You know, this is what's important. The rest of it, it's just, I mean, it's entertainment. It's like reading a book or watching a movie or something, but it has no more reality. It has no more importance, nothing, uh, except the fact that it happened to us, you know, so it makes it a special story. Well, Roy would encourage us again and again to get over it, uh, you know, move beyond, move beyond whatever the, the limitation that's coming from that is. We don't want to, we don't want to, you know, have amnesia. We want to remember what's happened, but we want to learn from our past experiences and not be uh, controlled by them. Does that make sense? So we can we can be intentional, mindful, living on purpose, and not stuck in these feelings of limitation. Um, just assume that you are an absolutely awesome person because you are. It's true, you know. And if you and you don't have to take my word for it, you can go ask mom or your best friend or somebody who's kind, <laughs> but you, every one of us is uh, an amazing being. Each one of us is unique, individual. There's no two alike on the planet. So we have 7.8 billion people and every single one is unique, which is great, wonderful. I remember a Bob Dylan song from back when I was a young person and uh, enchanted by Bob Dylan and uh, he had had a lyric in one of his songs to the effect that um, it would be really boring if everybody was just like me. <laughs> you know, how crazy would it be? I just talking to another one of myself. You know, it's a blessing that we have everybody different and everybody interesting and everybody unique. And, and so, so we should be paying attention and honoring our own uniqueness and honoring our own being and coming into this place of feeling confident, self-confident. And then our actions. So we talked about our feeling, oneness, our thinking about our nature and what's happening and our relationship with the world around us. And then our actions, our discipline, our actions should be, everything that we should do should be on purpose. And Roy spent a lot of time explaining about purpose. You know, he said, your purpose, you have two purposes. One purpose is to wake up, to be fully awake, to be fully conscious, to be fully illumined. That is to know, experience, realize what you are. 
what your true nature is, your essence. This is one purpose. The other, excuse me, the other purpose is to, is something that is unique to us, just like we have 7.8 individual unique people on the planet. There is something that each one of us does or can contribute to life that is special and peculiar to us. That nobody else is has the same combination, the same background, the same experience, the same uh, predilections, the same interests. So coming out of all that milieu and all of our past experience and all of our interests coming out of this is something that is a purpose for us that we that we enjoy doing, that we can do to make a useful contribution to help move the system ahead, to help this evolutionary process. And everything is important. Everything needs to be done. You know, somebody somebody needs to be out there on the plantation growing coffee so that the truck drivers in the morning can have their cup of coffee and keep the, the, the food, the goods and services being delivered to the grocery store so we can eat. So the guy growing coffee is important. And the guy who's... Uh, carrying the container ships and the, and the truckers and the people who are patching the roads out here and the people who are keeping the infrastructure, all these things have to be done by somebody and every single detail of every level of all that is important. You know, one little thing missing and it doesn't, the system doesn't work. So what we do, we should be living on purpose. We should be paying attention to what we are doing and doing something that's useful. It's, it's not difficult. Whatever we do, it can be thought of as useful. You know, if it's helping to, to serve, helping to contribute to life in some way. And it can be little things. I mean, we can just be the person whose, whose job today is to cheer people up. My function, my purpose for the day, I have to go out and, and I have to go to town and do some shopping. And so I have some interaction. And so I'm just deciding before I leave the house that today I'm going to be the cheerful guy and I will have a smile and a kind word for everybody I meet. You know, this is a service. This is a useful service to cheer people up. People are, you know, they're unhappy enough and, and challenged and worried. And so just a little smile from time to time can be enough, you know, that can be a useful service. And, if we just think about it, we can take it much higher than that. You know, we can go to the level where we're actually making a contribution um, that's even more impactful and more meaningful because we can. So we have this giant brain. It, do, it doesn't even fit inside of our head. This mind is immense, is uh, infinite. And within this giant brain, this giant mind, we have the ability to imagine and conceive of futures and uh, realities that do not yet exist. This is called creative imagination. We can imagine circumstances, events, scenarios that do not exist right now, but we can see them clearly and we can imagine their uh, coming into being through our participation through our consciousness so we can make a contribution by imagining a future that is 
uh, better, that it has advantages to where we are right now. And then, and then following through and listening to our intuition that says, well, in order to help make this work, you should do this. This little thing right here will help move the whole system in the right direction. Uh, it's like the old story, which I'm not sure if it's really true, but it sounds good. And that is that uh, a butterfly's wings beating in California changes the weather in China. You know, just the, the little flutter of the butterfly disturbs the air just enough. And that just moves the air molecules and this and that. And everything's connected. And so eventually that little butterfly's wings has created a storm somewhere in China. And the Chinese are looking for that butterfly, by the way. Um, so these little things, little things can have big uh, long-term effects. Little things that we do, uh, we never know how much impact and how much effect these things can have on other individuals. So sometimes just saying something positive, you know, calling somebody uh, just out of the blue, somebody that we haven't talked to for a while and just saying hi and being kind and uh, offering some positive, uh, positive uh, perspective on what's happening right now, being supportive. Uh, sometimes this can make a giant change for somebody. You never know where they are when you make the call, but uh, but I've had the experience many times of people coming back and saying, wow, you know, that thing you said to me five years ago made a big difference, made a huge difference. And um, and so and so we never know what we're saying, how we're acting, what we're doing. We never know what the long term effect is. And when we look at the. The Bhagavad Gita uh, it, the running theme through the Bhagavad Gita, through the most of the first 12 chapters is um, let go of the results of your actions. Pay no attention to what's happening after the fact. Just do what you know you need to do. Do the very best you can and then let it go. And if it's something that's going to work, it's going to work. If it's not going to work, it's not going to work. It's not your fault move on to the next thing move on to the next thing stay focused stay involved and roy said that the last teaching from paramahansa yogananda uh, before he passed uh, yogananda said pay no attention to what other people do or don't do and don't look to the left and don't look to the right and don't look behind you but look straight ahead to the goal and go all the way and you can do it and he was, of course, talking about uh, liberation of consciousness to becoming fully awake, but also with respect to anything, anything that we get involved with, any endeavor, whatever is important, whatever is resonates with our purpose for being, whatever that may be, can be our focus, our goal, and we can use, we can, we can direct ourselves. And we can go all the way to success in whatever our project is, whatever our need is. We can do that. We can do that. And as we practice uh, in little ways, you know, we, we set a goal. We have a, a purpose. We have something that we're engaged in that we're accomplishing. We have these little things. And every time we accomplish one of these little things, we get some power. 
we get actually get some energy, some life force, some re, uh, some affirmation, some confirmation, some personal power within comes as a result of success. So every time we're successful, we become a little bit stronger and we have a little bit more faith in ourselves. you see. So as we move forward and we practice setting our goals and moving through and not being distracted and not letting the, the things around us take us off of our focused goal, uh, as we do that, we become much more powerful. We become much more uh, able to act and to fulfill our purposes. And, and eventually, and I remember talking to Roy about this many, many years ago, uh, eventually we develop the power to manifest the spoken word. That is that we become, we, we, uh, we learn to say what we're going to do to set our agenda, to set our purpose, to focus on that and to accomplish it. And because we, every time we set our purpose, every time we set our goal, we move ahead and we accomplish it. We know that whatever we set out to do, we can accomplish, that it is possible. And, and this gives us the ability to take on bigger and bigger projects, to take on bigger and bigger things, to step out of our comfort zone, to move into the place where we really can do what we you know, deep down inside, we really know we can accomplish. We really know we can uh, fulfill these purposes. And, and it's uh, available for all of us because we're, we all have the same tools. We all have the same God, which is manifesting as us and working through us. And if we simply come into harmony with that, if we just align ourselves with that, everything becomes perfect. Everything, um, we, we're able to easily fulfill our purposes. Um, we feel healthy, happy. We live a long time and we're fully awake. So again, that was, you know, this was our objective. This is what Roy said. This is why we practice. We practice for health, happiness, longevity, and spiritual awakening. And this is the way we practice. We sit and meditate and do our work. And then the rest of the time, the 90% of the time, we are attentive. We are paying attention to how we're thinking, how we're feeling, and how we're acting. This is Kriya Yoga. The whole thing, you see. So, so this can be uh, be very useful. And I wanted to read uh, just quickly. Uh, Roy says the complete practice of Kriya Yoga includes rational, constructive thinking. Rational, constructive thinking. So. Uh, so if we're not being rational, if we're, you know, kind of uh, stuck in fantasy and illusion and uh, keep chasing things around that are really not very real and not practical, um, then we can learn how to keep our attention focused on what is practical, what is doable, what's achievable, and to be involved always in constructive thinking. To construct is to build, is to put together. So, so Roy says, you know, we should be involved in constructive thinking, not just running the same routine over and over and over, not just going through habits of thought and habits of feeling, but to be constructive, to be actively participating in life. 
Second is mastery of emotions, desires, and sensory impulses. Mastery. So he does not say to eliminate emotions and desires and sensory impulses. He doesn't say to get rid of these things. They're an important part of our life. But to be a master means to be in charge, to be in control. So we're no longer pushed around by our emotions. We're no longer under the, the thrall, the, the control of desires. You know, this desire and that desire, one thing after another, and we're constantly being led. You know, you ever see how they, uh, uh, if you've ever been on a farm, they, they take the bull and they put a big ring in the bull's nose and then they put a rope on it and they can lead the bull around because it's kind of uncomfortable to have this thing in your nose. <laughs> so, um, so we don't want to be led around, you know, by the by the, the the ring in our nose of desires. These things keep coming up and and taking us off purpose. You know, desires are fine. I mean, we we have a desire to eat when we're hungry, to drink when we're thirsty, uh, and life enhancing desires are just that life enhancing. That is that they make our life better and that's great that's fine but we don't want negative desires and and uh, willful situations to be controlling us and running us and sensory impulses the senses are really wonderful i mean i am so blessed and so happy that i got a body that had five functioning senses well we talk about five there's actually several more but inside but um but I really enjoy being able to hear and to see and to taste and to smell and to touch. And so senses are a wonderful thing. Um, we just have to, again, be master of our senses and not allow the need for more input, more input to be controlling us. So we want to be in charge of our senses, to use our senses, to, to enjoy our senses, but not to be controlled by them. Compliant observance of moral and ethical guidelines. So we want to be, we want to live in harmony with life and with the society that we're in. So we have moral and ethical guidelines. Some of them are kind of universal and some of them are peculiar, specific to where we are culturally, you know, time and place on the planet. Um, and so we want to be paying attention to these and be compliant, observe. Adherence to lifestyle routines that nurture and support health and overall well-being. So this is what we talked about earlier. We want to be taking care of ourselves. We want to be loving ourselves enough to care, to do what it needs to do. So we see to the proper nutrition. We get enough rest. We see, you know, have some recreation get exercise. We do all the things we can to care for this beautiful body, which is God incarnate, you know? So, you know, if the Dalai Lama was coming to pay, to pay us a visit, we would make special accommodations and, you know, sweep the floor and make sure everything was pretty and pick up the, 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 the knickknacks around the house. And uh, why don't we do that for ourselves? Now, why aren't we paying attention, nurturing and supporting, assuming that we are all God incarnate and we deserve the best, you know, and we deserve the respect from us, at least from ourselves. Purposeful, effective living. So 
We want to live on purpose and be effective at what we do. We always want to do the very best we can and, uh, and be effective at that. That is to, to actually make a difference. Um, study, analysis, and comprehension of metaphysical that is beyond the physical realities. So this, we've talked about this as our Kriya Yoga. Study, self-analysis, comprehension, experience, uh, mental and spiritual attunement with the teachings of this tradition. And so we have uh, in our Kriya Yoga tradition, we have uh, these amazing teachers, these amazing beings who have all uh, not only taught us, but demonstrated, set the example that it's possible to, uh, to, be, to achieve this mastery, to achieve full self-realization to become enlightened. So each one of our teachers in this tradition has demonstrated that, has set that example, and then encouraged each one of us to follow along in like, in kind. And so, so, our, so, so we can come into resonance, into attunement with the gurus in our tradition, with these amazing beings, always remembering that their idea was that we should be following them. We should be like them. We should be waking up and not have them set out here as a separate thing and be uh, something that looked to from a distance and prayed to. Rather, we should feel their consciousness of these individuals is fully active within our consciousness and maintain this attunement, this connection with them. Skillful meditation practice that clarifies awareness and elicits refined superconscious states that progresses to self-realization, cosmic consciousness, God realization, and permanent liberation of consciousness. So skillful meditation practice, if our meditation practice is not skillful, that is, we're showing up regularly, which is something. Uh, but if we're just going through the routine, if it's a mechanical process, then we should stop and, and back up a little bit and change our direction. Find a meditation technique and procedure that is alive. Every time we sit down, we should be awake. We should be, uh, you know, like we just went out to explore the jungle. We don't know what's in consciousness. And so we're open, we're receptive. We're looking, we're listening, we're, we're working with this. So this is an active process, not a passive one where we just try to, to, you know, subdue the mind so it's quiet. But rather, we move beyond that to the place where we are, the witness, the observer, consciously observing, noticing, you know, awakening. And then, and then Roy would say, and then wherever you are, just ask, what's beyond this? What else? Well, how, where did this come from? How did this emerge? So we're constantly actively engaged in our meditation and not just mechanically going through the motions. And then finally, surrender or letting go of the illusional sense of selfhood to realize, to apprehend, to experience the one field of unbounded consciousness of which all souls are individualized units. And and so this is the this is the, the most important part is for us to come to this awareness, this conscious awareness of the presence of God within us and as us all the time. 
So Roy would, Roy would say, you know, he would tell us meditate. And then after you finish meditating, then live your life, but live your life super consciously. That is super is above or beyond normal consciousness. Normal consciousness is blurred and fragmented. So, so the attention jumps around like a drunken monkey. Um, there's constantly something to distract us. The, the little thought processes only last for uh, 10 or 15 seconds before they switch over to something and switch over to something. It's just the, the way the mind works. It's okay. But we can be super conscious. That is, we can be aware of our nature as consciousness, as the witness, as the seer. We can be fully awake and fully aware all the time, no matter what we're doing. So we developed a skill not only to wake up while we're meditating in our meditation practice, but then we developed a skill to, to continue to be living from that awareness, from that consciousness all the time. So, so I'm thinking, I'm engaged, and at the same time, I'm noticing what I'm thinking. I'm noticing how I'm feeling. I'm noticing what's going on, the interactions. I'm noticing whether I'm staying focused and on purpose or if I just got distracted. You know, most of the time we notice we're distracted after we've been distracted for a half an hour and we go, oh, you know, I was supposed to be doing this and now I'm doing that. Uh, but if we're really paying attention, we notice the distraction when it comes up and we can immediately short circuit that and get ourselves back on track. Until eventually we come to the place where we are mindful, we are paying attention, we are the witness all the time. All the time. See, fully conscious, fully awake, fully aware. This is possible for us. And this is what Roy encouraged us to do. And, um, and that we, what we will continue to encourage each other to do uh, is, to be, is to be working toward this uh, experience of self-realization, to be fully awake and to be fully engaged, fully acting in life all the time, all the time. And we can do it. We can do it. Thank you for your time and attention and namaste.